0: last time on CityCast Denver. Well, currently hookah lounges in Denver can stay open as late as they'd like. But tomorrow, a city council committee will discuss a midnight closing time to help cut late night crime. A neighbor up there got their window blown out with a gunshot. um, And then the police said that it was gang activity.
1: You know, that's that's why all these people set up a little thing to get rid of the hookah place. And so they're trying to do the same thing with the marijuana place now.
0: A big step for Colorado's marijuana industry. For the first time, Denver will start accepting applications for pot hospitality businesses.
1: The current owner of the building came by and asked her to sign a petition. And then, like five minutes later, somebody from the uh, the neighborhood was like, "Hey, will you sign our counter petition?"
0: So you so you do have a position on it. You you think there shouldn't be a, a public consumption lounge at that location?
1: Yes, I am opposed to that license at that at that location.
0: Have you talked to the the property owner?
1: Property owner still has never reached out to me.
0: I've been looking into this situation at 1800 South Broadway for a few weeks now. And after talking to all those people you just heard, one thing that's clear is that the owner of the building where Habibi Hookah Cafe used to be has lost the trust of the community. They blame him, at least in part, for all the problems in the neighborhood last year. But his application to open a weed lounge should be about more than late night partying and alleged gang violence. It should be about weed. Denver's last attempt at allowing public consumption businesses was so restrictive that only one could ever open. So if we wanted to actually work this time, if we want to foster this growing industry and reap some of the collective benefits of our international weed reputation, we have to make space for it. So why not here? at this one address in the middle of the strip of South Broadway they call the Green Mile. Today is Monday, April 11th. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is 1800 South Broadway, Part 2. Okay, before we get into this, I have to apologize. Bree and Alexandra are out today, so it is just me to introduce you to Josh Horwitz, the young man who now owns 1800 South Broadway. He's the one applying for a marijuana hospitality permit at that location. Josh, we should say that your, your lawyer, Tom, is also on the line. He is. We, we, we've been talking for a few minutes now already about um, this situation revolving around property at 1800 South Broadway, which is your family's property. It's been in your family for a long time.
1: It has. So, um, this was my father's property up until the beginning of last year, uh, 2021. He got diagnosed with brain cancer um, in, I think, August of 2019 uh, or 2020, actually. 2020. Um, So, Toward, towards the end of that year, uh, you know, we, we were in a situation where I was, you know, having to take, take over his phone calls and, and, you know, friends and family reaching out. So I had his phone. Um, and that's kind of when I also had to start taking care of his house and, and then this property where this tenant was. Um, so, you know, a couple of weeks after I started taking care of everything, that's when I was reached out to, um, I think by email by a couple of the, Uh, close residential neighbors Um, and they, you know, they expressed what has been going on. Um, And it was a total surprise by, you know, for my siblings and I, at this time my father was um, incapacitated and we couldn't really make any comments with him. But, you know, we we had no idea because my dad never really brought it up. Um, And, you know, we were never really included in this property um, just because it's, you know, obviously it's not ours. It was my father's. so, So we never really talked about any of that stuff.
0: Josh told me that that Zoom call with the neighbors was the first time he heard anything about late-night partying or violence at 1800 South Broadway.
1: Which is, you know, really concerning, especially coming from someone like me who goes to bed at like 8.30 at night. Um, <laughs> so so okay. we, right, so, so we had that call um, and, you know, it took us by surprise. So, you know, first off, that was the first time we ever met the neighbors, mm-hmm. um, you know. And, uh, you know, we kind of let them know, like, you know, our situation with my dad at the time, it was still his building. He was still alive, but we were kind of going through the whole, you know, process with the estate attorney, getting everything, you know, signed over, power of attorney and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, So after that call happened, you know, I I spoke with my siblings and, and, you know, they said, like, we need to meet with the tenant and, and give him a, you know, give him a violation notice of this lease. So I met with the tenant um, you know, let him know this is, you know, these are the com- complaints that we're getting and, you know, th- this needs to stop. Or we're going to have further issues. So I didn't hear from the neighbors for a couple of weeks. So I-, I assumed things went pretty well. Um, and then I heard about a shooting that was happening or that happened, um,
0: right outside the property.
1: So that's when I, that's when I got Tom on board with this conflict and I said, you know, we need to get this neighbor out of here. Um, and at that time we were also in contact with the city um, who was assisting us in that. Cause we had a lease, we had the lease with the tenant. Um, so we needed to figure out a way to evict him properly, which we did with, the, with which we did with the city. Um, and it was, you know, it was at the time where it was a very, you know, we were dealing with my father who passed away way too young, um, in a, in a very upsetting, you know, situation, but it was just a very overwhelming and pretty, pretty awful experience when it, coming to evict this tenant. Um, you know, it was super stressful. We had a just, a just a bunch of conflicts arose.
0: I mentioned this last time, but I never did get a hold of the old tenant. So I don't know if he'd corroborate any of this. I do know from one of my other sources that his main argument was that the people who were making the problems at the cafe weren't his people. Like they weren't his customers. He said that they would go drinking at the bars up the street. And then when the bars closed, they would come hang out in his parking lot and make trouble. That's secondhand information though. So you know how it is.
1: And I don't, I don't know how long that tenant was there. I do know he bought it from his family member. I don't know if it's a cousin or, or something, but I think he was fairly new in that space because one of the tenant or one of the neighbors also told me that they didn't have any issues with the old tenant. It's ever since this new tenant started running the business. So um, again, I was never interesting. I was never included or related into that property. Um, so I don't know when, what, when those dates happened or whatever.
0: Josh told me that he worked with the city to evict the old tenant. And since October, 1800 South Broadway has been sitting vacant while Josh and his siblings sort out their father's affairs. And by coincidence, it was during that same period that the city finally opened up applications for marijuana hospitality licenses. And for Josh, that represented a lot more than a business opportunity.
1: Yeah, so um, it stems from my father, actually, and I'm doing it in his memory and, you know, for his legacy.
0: At first, I thought it was kind of strange, the idea that Josh would be carrying on some family tradition by opening a weed business. But Josh's father, Steve Horwitz, was one of the original Ganjapreneurs. He snagged a medical marijuana dispensary license early on and opened a spot on South Broadway that he called... Ganja Gourmet.
1: It was one of the first dispensaries that was open in Denver, Um, and when he did start it, it was actually a it was a sit down restaurant where you could come in, sit at the bar, and order pizza or jambalaya. Or he even had my great grandmother's cheesecake recipe with you know with a beam infused with marijuana.
0: I've reported on the weed business enough to know that in those early days, it was wide open. No one really knew what it was gonna feel like to walk into a weed business, let alone what those businesses should even be. So when Steve Horwitz opened something as odd as ganja gourmet, it turned some heads. Here's some footage of him talking about his proto-weed hospitality business with a CNN reporter from 2009 you know the whole thing is legal as long as you have your medical marijuana card that card gets you into ganja gourmet where you can belly up to the bud bar as in marijuana bud
1: what we'd like them to do is come sit at the bar and give us their order and then if they want to choose a table, they could choose a table, they could sit on the couch, and we'll bring the food to them.
0: Horowitz says he's owned the building for more than a dozen years and used to make those little magnets that real estate agents give out. But that tanked with the real estate market, and he decided to look into opening a medical marijuana dispensary. What I
1: discovered is that um, they all ran good businesses, but they were all about getting their patient in, selling them the medicine, and getting
0: them out. So that's why Steve dreamed of a place where people could come and eat get high and hang out and do whatever. But he had a problem. Normal restaurants rely on a neighborhood and regulars. And because of the regulations back then, this one would have to rely only on medical marijuana cardholders. So
1: not a lot lot of the nearby uh, neighborhoods or, you know, residents were allowed to come and consume or eat some food. You'd have to have a medical license. The only time I was in there, because I was under 21, um, you know, I think the whole time he was, he was open for business for the on-site consumption. So only time I, so I wasn't really allowed to go in there, but there was one time I was a kid and I, not getting, cause I had to go to the bathroom cause he usually like left me in the car in the parking lot for five minutes while I went to go grab the mail or the mail. Um, so I sneaked in and I saw, you know, a cancer patient and a, uh, and a old veteran who was handicapped. I don't think he had any legs. and they were sitting down together at the bar and they were both eating, you know, infused food and just laughing and. Uh, it, was just a, it was just a great scene, you know, the medical medical side of it, you know, really showed that, you know, how, how great of a um, product that is.
0: Steve's idea for a weed restaurant was so bold, it even captured national attention.
1: A new medical marijuana shop in Denver called the Ganja Gourmet, that's the name, Ganja Gourmet, is now serving a marijuana pizza. Pizza made with marijuana, talk about killing two birds with one stone,
0: right? I mean, when you're going to order the. It's surreal watching these old videos now, knowing what happened to Steve Horwitz. But it does all kind of fit together with what Josh told me about his father's attitude and approach to life.
1: I think probably what my dad would say is, all press is good press. And I remember him, <laughs> he was laughing at it. like You know, he was laughing at it because it still gets his name out there. I still think it was great and it shows his personality and his character, which is, you know, what, what everyone remembers him by.
0: As the city slowly figured out how it was going to regulate this new industry... All those early weed restaurants and weed dinners were shut down, and that had a huge effect on fledgling businesses like Steve's. Here's another clip of Steve from a few years after the national buzz died down. It's from a Rocky Mountain PBS documentary that was posted to YouTube in 2012. On a
1: whole, this uh, this is a very, very difficult business. And. Uh, It's been a very, and I was never in this business before. I was never, I never grew marijuana before and I never sold marijuana before. I just was a user, but I never was in the business. So I've really gotten my ass kicked because uh, a lot of the people in the business had much
0: more experience than I did. Steve ultimately converted ganja gourmet into a regular old dispensary that's still open at 1810 South Broadway, right next door to where Josh wants to open his weed lounge.
1: You know, now, so we'd be open for rec and medical, um, or I guess it's rec, but, you know, medical patients could come in, of course, you know, just just buy it for rec, um, where then the neighborhood could actually be part of the community and um, can take advantage of having it so nearby the Green Mile and Platt Park. So it wasn't his goal or dream to own a dispensary, it was to have fun with his work and have, you know, and make some food with, you know, marijuana in it. Very close to the time of him passing, I I received an article that Denver is gonna start allowing on-site consumption. And, you know, it kind of kind of wore my heart, it gave me a weird feeling that, you know, just like the timeline of that, because my dad, you know, if my dad was, you know, didn't get sick, I think he would have absolutely loved to to you know, start his dream over again. Um so I, you know, I spoke with my two siblings and I said, you know, I really want to do this for dad. You know, plus, you know, first off, it's it's obviously a huge step to do it in his memory because, you know, it's an expensive business to start. It's very highly regulated. That's why I had to hire a consultant and an attorney to make sure I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in line with everything that I need.
0: To yeah, I mean, these regulations are so complicated.
1: Right. Yeah. And I actually have like 150 pages of paper sitting on my desk right now of, of the regulations. I try to read it once a week. So or reads different sections of it once a week. So um so yeah, so I I chatted with both my siblings and, you know, we you know, we said that, you know, I dad would be really proud if I did it. Um, you know, I am pretty business sophisticated. I've I've uh owned a real estate company since two thousand seventeen that's been very successful. Um and I've you know did my feet in a couple other ventures as well and this is something that, you know, I think I could also have a lot of fun with doing as well, kind of being part of the you know, part of the Green Mile Street on Broadway, um, where we could have, you know, the whole retail community on Broadway kind of benefiting from this place.
0: Yeah. That's another interesting part of this, actually, before we go on to, to let the neighbor's response, this strip of Broadway, like this, there's nightlife here, there's restaurants, there's bars, this kind of weed lounge. Like it doesn't seem to me as being that far out of like, what would you would expect to see there? At least that's, that's my understanding of what the vision of what Denver's new like regulatory framework is, is they want, they want these kinds of businesses to open in places like this. Right.
1: Absolutely. And and so since it's been sitting vacant for the last six months, I've actually gotten calls from people who noticed it was vacant and they were interested in, you know, buying it or leasing it out. And I said, well, what's your use going to be? And I'm pretty sure just about every one of them said it would be, it'd be a marijuana use. Um, and yes, yeah, so we're right in the Green Mile, mm-hmm. so it's a couple of different business plans that's possible. But you know, I, I have dispensaries that would love to, you know, have like collaborations there. Mm-hmm. Um, and because because right now, you know, I, and I've, I've experienced this with my dad's dispensary uh, right next door in Conde Gourmet. That you know, Green Mile is a very, very popular visited street for tourists. You know, so when I when I go to the store, you know a large percentage of the time there's someone there that is from out of state and they're asking like, Hey, where can we go, you know, smoke this? Mm -hmm. And we don't have an answer. There's not, there's nothing, there's no place. You know, so then these people start smoking either in our, in their cars or, you know, they go in our parking lot. I've had to kick people out of our parking lot. So it's actually going to be a great place where people could come and safely consume,
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. um, which, which I think will be also a great benefit for for that area as well.
0: Yeah. So it's like, it's like, this is something your dad always wanted. It seems like other people think this is a viable business opportunity. You see this as an opportunity. I imagine you haven't said that directly, but this is like clearly a business with a lot of potential. This is the beginning of a, what could be a big thing. And then, and then when did you start hearing that there might be some pushback from the neighbors?
1: Well, I met with a neighbor, um, who I've known for, about a year or two. Um, and, you know, he kind of made me aware of it. So um, so since then, since I found out that there's some neighbors that's, you know, uh, not in favor of it, I've been, you know, I went door knocking on Wednesday. I'm going door knocking right after this call to kind of introduce myself. Because, you know, it's obvious, you know, it's a trust thing. And I don't think anyone really knows me in this neighborhood. They might know my father, but they don't know who I am. And I think if they got the chance and got the chance to speak with me, they might actually be excited and very comfortable that I'll be I'll be operating this business and running it.
0: Yeah, okay. So that's like the whole thing here, though. Because we all know what happened last year. And, you know, a lot of the neighbors think you were at least partly to blame. But I think that even more than that, what they want to know is that the problems are over, you know? So... I don't know what. What can you tell them to reassure them? Do you have Do you have a plan, a security plan?
1: Yeah. So, so the story is that the, the old tenant was a, just gets a very poor business operator, business owner. Um, he let the he let his you know customers treat that area and the neighborhood very poorly. He had no control over what they were doing, how they were acting, and also it's in a you know he was in a non regulated industry where you know, they didn't have our restrictions. Um, so you know, we're we're basically we we are the opposite. We have one of the most restrictive regulated industries that you could get into. Um, you know, we also have our restrictions. We we're allowed to be open till two AM, but my right now my business plan's just just twelve to twelve. So, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not planning on having people there after midnight. Um, I know that there's a bunch of bars in other places that are open till two AM. That's fine, but that's not really my goal. Mm. Um, you know, we have we have two sections of this building. There's one that's on the front that's on like the kind of the storefront, so it's very light. It's gonna be kind of a more modern coffee shop vibe, but we're gonna have high speed Wi-Fi, we're gonna have some pastries, breakfast pastries, dessert pastries, mm-hmm. um, you know, sandwich sandwiches where, you know, maybe some people from DU or just Platte Park that wanna come in. And you know, get a coffee and maybe get a you know an, a piece of an edible, and then work on our high speed Wi Fi or do school or whatever they need to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you know, we're 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 not gonna have we're not gonna be like a late night place to go to. Um, and we're gonna we're just gonna be highly regulated. We're gonna have a lot more, you know, we're gonna have security security cameras all over. We're gonna have a we're just gonna be a lot more. I guess, securer than any other industry and especially more than the old tenant.
0: Thanks so much for, for talking to me about this, Josh. Take care. Thanks Paul. So that was Josh Horwitz, his story. That's who he is. His hearing is now scheduled for early May. So he has plenty of time to knock on doors and build some trust before then. And remember the city of Denver says that it really does matter what the neighbors say at that meeting, but I want to hear from you. Now that you know both sides, what do you think about 1800 South Broadway? Should it be able to open the Weed Lounge or not? Leave us a voicemail with your name and neighborhood. And you might hear it on the show later this week. That number is 720-500-5418. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute and tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, where today Peyton's got a rundown of Denver's history with marijuana regulations, back and forth and back and forth. It's really interesting and informed the way that I thought about this whole story with Josh Horwitz. You can read that and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.